Hey man. Hey man, how are you? Good. How about you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Good. Great to connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Amazing. I'm try and prop my phone up. Appreciate it, man. There we go. So how yeah. how's everything over there? Yeah, everything's good. It's busy. Um, as always, like um, in you know, my first certification event is this weekend. So lots of filming and stuff being done today, tomorrow, the rest of the week to kind of like nail everything off. But um, excited for that. And that's kind of been a real focus over the last three or four months. So it's been, been real good. Been real, real good. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. Training like rugby players and like soccer players, yeah, and done done some like podcasts with some of the NBA coaches, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's yeah. Cool. So I have a great interest in like speed training. Yeah, huh? So that's the main reason I reach out to you, and I know you like train a lot of like NFL player, like rugby player, right? All yeah, yeah. Speed athletes, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. I love your content on your Instagram, but, and also the resource from your link in the bio. Mm-hmm. But still, can you introduce yourself for the coaches? Yeah, yeah. So, my name's sam portland um i'm a strength and conditioning coach performance specialist whatever you want to call me from uh just outside london in the uk um i worked for about 10 years in professional rugby union um and did some track and field stuff alongside that and then in 2000 and mm, 2018 19 i ended up working with alex gray who was in the nfl at the time um then you know the rest is history you know being exposed to quite a lot of, of different athletes from all different paths of, of, of life now. Um, and, you know, it's wonderful to be able to be in the position where I'm not really associated to a team. I'm more associated to different athletes' stories. And that's really powerful and something that I really, really enjoy um, because you can work with people on a, on a level and create a lot more depth, not only from like a performance point of view but just from a personal point of view you get to spend more time with these people and, and enjoy and become a you know real part of their life and um and that kind of lends into the work that i do with coaches so over the last two years um i've, I've started and, and running a successful mentorship group um and that has had 40 coaches all over the world go through a 90-day program and, and then join what is now um the the Portland Nation Legacy, Coaching Legacy Group, where we help coaches um, help help themselves more. You know, a big part of my education, a big part of my coaching as well, from, from starting as a personal trainer. Um, and it was one of the biggest things that, um, that enabled me to sort of develop my philosophy, because if you're a personal trainer, it's, it's all about the client. It's all about the client in front of you. And at some point, when people become in a, as a professional coach, it stops being about the athlete in front of them and the program that, and it becomes more about the program they're using or the technique they're using or the tool they're using and they forget what's in front. 
And then unfortunately we lose that, especially with, you know, higher education and the way that that's driven. We lose a coach centered approach to developing coaches. And if you look at a lot of education, I know I'm going on a ramble here, but if you look at a lot of the way education is taught, it's taught from a primary perspective. So it's taught by the person telling their people what to do. And, you know, if you think a master's course is written and, and delivered by a master's or a researcher. So it's delivered in a, in a way that encourages that thought process, not from a discovery process or, or, a, or from a sound foundational pedagogical experience. So the study of teaching and anthropology, the study of people. So when, when you're, um, when you're in that position, you know, for me, I, I feel so empowered to be able to just intersect and go, what's going on? What's going wrong? How can I help you? And that's kind of the same conversation that I have with athletes as well as coaches. So. Cool. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, today I kind of want to be focusing on like, speed uh-huh and yeah. mul- and at the beginning speed and then multi-directional movement yeah okay yeah, for sure. a little bit and kind of want to discuss about like muscle slack and hip lock that kind of stuff okay okay yeah so yeah. first thing i'm kind of like uh confused about like how heavy should we go on like resistance sprinting i know it mm-hmm. The answer is it depends, but is there like a gradual, like things like periodization, that kind of stuff? So yeah. like how heavy we should go on like different time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so what? I, uh, if you look at, and I'm, I'm a big fan of conjugate sequencing, and I talked about it a little bit yesterday on my, on my Instagram story that, that you know, When we're looking, because this is where I feel that sometimes coaches ask the wrong questions, because if if you're always getting that it depends answer, then you've asked the wrong question. Because it's it's so, for me, and this is where my thought process goes, it lacks the investigation of the individual that you're working with. So how are we qualifying that athlete? So when someone says, well, how how heavy or how do we periodize um, a uh, uh, a resisted load? Well, first of all, you ask the question instead of saying depends. It says, well, where is this athlete on their journey of strength and conditioning? And because when you otherwise you could end up doing load or force velocity profiling when you just need to teach someone how to do a skips. And so when you're when you're working through this coaching paradigm in in the conjugate sequencing method which i stole from berkashansky i'm very happy to say that and talia wonderful wonderful coach wonderful researcher um the where i introduce resisted work is in our um extension of our level one work so i've created four levels of tier through speed training for athletes level one Um, implements the extensive and intensive versions of unweighted movements. So within that, what we do is we manipulate the ability and and the understanding that an athlete um, 
and the, the understanding of the rate of adaptation that motor learning is going to have on the subsequent performance because what we're trying to do is close the gap between uh, readily available biomotor and bioenergetic capabilities that are conditioned in the gym essentially you basically your athlete that's typically really strong that can't go anywhere on the field so what we have to do is close that and we close it through motor learning and 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 what you do is is within that you will sequence your movement and sequence your your exercise exposure to deliver the adaptation that you need at the in at the time not not what not what you think it should be it's what adaptation do i need so when i'm talking and and, and periodizing and programming towards um resisted work my first the first variation would be a heavy resistance push drag walk whatever you want it to be because what i'm trying to do is is determine where the 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 first flaw in bioenergetics is because if i've got an athlete that first of all this is some of my checklists can they do a speed warm up if they are if their hamstrings their hip flexors their calves their upper backs or their cardiovascular system are shot after just a simple five drill 20 meter speed warm up then they don't deserve the right to be moving up to to fly sprints because they can't even warm up so your 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 barrier for entry becomes really low and i will be honest with you people will go well that doesn't happen with elite athletes i'm telling you now it does it does some of the fastest players that i've worked with lacked the innate physical capacity to perform sprint work and that is a huge window of acknowledgement for the for the field that you see working with rugby players and you're working with uh, different other athletes that Eric, you 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 can't miss a trick there because do you know what happens when when the guys that I got that were nine and a half meters per second I built out their physical capacities they ran ten. We didn't do anything at the top end. We developed the physical capacities and the physical cap capabilities to refine motor skill, and the rest took care of itself. So when you're edging yourself up towards resisted methods, you you need to be asking the question. Um, why does this athlete need it and where in their journey are they needing it? So as, as, a, as a typical level one, which a lot of coaches will find themselves in, is I need to teach an athlete how to warm up because if they can't warm up then they don't have the innate physical capacities in the tissue, peripheral tissue tolerance in team sport athletes is so poor, purely based on the fact that they don't do any of it. And traditionalists and the you know we have our bias towards weight room work and the irony is that everyone says gpp is there to develop, develop adaptive reserves but yet they don't actually develop any adaptive reserves for the game so so when you're there and you're like well jesus christ i've got to start by um instilling the capacity of the stretch shortening mechanism within my athletes before i can even try to expose it and it's this hard, this crosswire of thinking. So people use data. We use jumps. You're always going to do a non-counter movement jump before a counter movement jump, because you're 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 testing and you're observing the the capacities and you compare the two. Why do we lose that thought process 
within our speed coaching? Why do we lose that, the, the base foundation of teaching, the base foundation of progression within our teaching and working with our athletes? Because in your brain, if you have a roadmap, well, I'm going to see what they can do. I'm going to see how well they can do it. Then I'm going to find out how they get to that end result. And then I'm just going to try and make them really efficient at getting to that end result. And as soon as you start breaking down these things, efficiency becomes easy. And the rate of change is, is more linear than stagnating. Because when you get to that, if you find your athletes are plateauing, you've missed something down the curve. So when we go, I'll go right back, like the use of resistant methods in the, in the conjugate sequencing that I use and the conjugate rotation that I will use as well. We do, uh, I look for an athlete who is, has the ability to warm up, perform, demonstrate physical capacities in our base level one literacy drills. And that extends to our, our wall drills. And if an athlete's doing like a resisted, um, load and load and smash or a resisted bilateral hip extension they're doing 10 reps and they're blowing well then there's no point being on a resisted sled just yet because we need to hold that back for our adaptation i can get them doing i can get them on on that doing those resisted those leg exchange work and then just get them doing some one or two three step pushes out i don't need to use that resistance just then maybe two to three weeks later we can start introducing that heavier resisted work because then that's going to start teaching the strength in the way. And, and, and this is where we have that crossover. It's quite funny. This is what gets confusing because you have someone that maybe you look up to or, or a known coach that says, I don't like what Franz Bosch does. Um, and you have another coach that says, Oh, I really like what Franz, Franz Bosch does. Um, and but neither neither of these people understand how transfer of training exists, or they're too stubborn to admit that everything has its place. So when we have say you have and it's all the leading indicators and it's all how you take your athletes on a journey. So if I have someone who's got heavy trap bar deadlift but can't jump two ninety uh, in a broad jump and can't get a, a one six ten meter, well I know that my deficits are not in strength. They're in the application of technique. So then uh, leg exchange and some coordinative strength work is really useful. And it's so funny, I do a lot of kneeling hip projections onto the wall to teach that starting strength and teach that overcoming um, Newton's first and second law, get into them into acceleration. And it's really funny. Someone messaged me about this, like amazing, and started shit, shitting on Franz Bosch's hand clean and to a step up. It's basically the same. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's still quite general, and it's teaching coordinative strength. Do I prefer, and do all my athletes prefer, doing it with a band around their waist? Yes. Because hand cleans are a bit of a nightmare. Olympic lifts are a bit of a nightmare. Um, but if you can do them, then you might as well use them because it's a nice way of bringing speed into the gym and training for those things into the gym, which a lot of coaches really struggle to do. Cool. So that's kind of like explain why there's a lot of like wall drill in your program. Yeah. And, and how you like how basically how you program your athletes for like expose them to like speed training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, so 
so I use a model that I've created called learn, load and execute. And it follows it. And there's, there's a couple of layers to this and it follows uh, cognitive learning, associative learning and autonomous learning, traditional um, motor skill acquisition. And what I've done is I've redefined, um, I've redefined Tudor bumpers stages of training for sprinting. So learning to sprint, training to sprint, sprinting to uh, compete and sprinting to win. So what I've done is then I've created categories of qualification and categories of exposure. When you're training to win, what you are doing is all the final nuance. And that's what every coach wants to be doing. Low velocity profiling, force velocity profiling, selling you force profiling courses, giving you, you know, all this fancy stuff. When right, when, when actually, it's like, this dude doesn't even know how to push out of a transition. He can't get into optimal vertical hip, hip displacement by seven or eight steps, because that's what you need in a team sport. Optimal hip, hip displacement is in, in track and field is the, in a hundred yards is relative to where you can keep hold, keep increasing your max speed. But team sports don't have that. So when we use learn, load and execute, we expose someone cognitively. So it becomes very constraints led, we're teaching them. And the best place to teach that is in a stable environment with lack of variability. Well, that's a wall drill or, or a front loaded prowler or, or a heavy pulley when they get there. Then we load it, so we stress the, it goes right back to like traditional learning. Motor skills, have, they, they fail through to physical capacity or technical capacity. And if the technical capacity fails, then it's because they've not learnt and ingrained the, the myelin that we need. So what gets laid down stays down. That's something I always say to my athletes. Focus on this technique, because what gets laid down stays down. And we've got to undo it if you do it bad. So then it's all frontal brain, it's all cognitive, it's learning, we're loading. And then this is where we use speed gate golf. It's like, right, I just need you to go and run 10 meters in two seconds for me and show me that you can do it. And we just rep that cycle over and over and over again. You could do it one time in one session, or you could do it eight times in one session because you're constantly pushing and pulling that relationship between technical and physical all the time. And if someone learns to push out of step one, for the first time, what do you think is going to happen to step two? It's going to be better. Step two, do you reckon? Or will they be in the better position to have a better step? They're going to be better at step two. So when what happens if you go right back to physics? This is cool. Like this is I like this stuff. So if you go right back to to physics, this momentum conservation. So if they've actually learned for the first time, they've got their first effective push at step one they're going to be carrying more momentum, right, into step two. Yeah. So if they're carrying more me momentum, they've got an increased rate of velocity change, so therefore increased acceleration. So then what do their legs have to do? Just switch. They've got to move faster. Yeah. But what happens if they've not had the ability to lay down that pattern yet? What does that strike look like? Probably go down. Yeah, it's more vertical or they will over-rotate and stick, yeah. tip forward. Yeah. And that's because they're carrying more speed. So so if I'm, I'm like, 
Well, I have to build my athletes out step by step because if I, if I increase the, the rate of change in step one, then that has a consequential effect to every step after that. And, and, and that's why I just call it the domino, domino principle. And I, in the certification, we teach it through step by step as well because the different rules apply in team sport because what have we got to deal with? Say in rugby, if you're um, a, a 12, an inside centre, right? He comes off a set piece, 10 breaks out, comes off to the line. Right, 12, he's got to run hard. He's got to run hard for three or four steps. So from a, from a depressed but upright position, he has to get length and he has to get up or she. They have to do all that in like three or four steps to find yeah. the speed that they need. Then yeah. they've got to compress because they've got to compress for two things, to take contact or to avoid contact. Yeah. So but if they've not found it before and then they compress down, they're not going to find that separation afterwards because the laws of momentum will dictate that their, their velocity that they're traveling at, they are, are unable to physically overcome that to change that displacement to find their speed. So that's why it's so important to teach it step by step. Because I need to know my athlete. I saw I put up a video that we did like a quick lateral escape into a lateral cut. It's like that lateral escape, I need to see as much hip displacement as possible because I only have one step to get it to then one step to put it somewhere else. And that's the real world of team sport speed. It's like if yeah. I can't dis find dis as much horizontal and vertical displacement, as quick as possible, then then you're screwed. Yeah, for sure. No, that's kind of answer the question, all the question I have for, to, for the linear speed. Cool. <laughs> we just got started. <laughs> we just got started. I mean, I love it. <laughs> so, basically, you just did is like, prepare your athlete for the first step then yep. step by step, step by step. Mm -hmm. And skill, then physical, skill, physical, skill, physical. That was cool. That was cool. Keep balancing it. Keep balancing it. And, if, and, and the one caveat that I would say to this is that people will argue that approach. And it's absolutely fine. They'll argue that approach. And I don't mind that. But what I will say is that in given your time with your athletes and relative to how much running they do in their sport what is the point in exposing them to the same intensity that they get to their sport if they are underqualified to what's the point yes. there is no point is yes. it just because you want to see how fast your athlete can run irrespective of the change that you make probably and then you can post it on instagram and tell everyone you've got a fast athlete when you've also done nothing to get that yeah Love it, love it. That was cool. So, off. Oh, I'm gonna stick with like speed. So, yeah. There's, there's like, uh, coaches talk about like muscle slack. Yes. And how, how is it like different from the traditional way we see in like, let's say we saw in like performance training or like in speed? How does it change the way you? View, we view performance training okay so so i'm quite 
I like to be I'm not selectively ignorant, I'm going to say, okay? Because, see, this is the biggest problem that strength and conditioning coaches and performance science can do for itself, to monitor things that are always going to happen. So we can say that when we're, when we're in that process of uh, changing the state of the muscle at length, well, it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's a, what we're, we can't, we're not in a position to directly measure that when we're coaching on the field. When we're, we're directly, you have the ability to watch, say, for example, in acceleration, thigh angle change. Well, funnily enough, if my, a good jumper uh, who's gone through an extensive regime of jumping into extensive is going to be able to have a better core inter intramuscular coordination abilities and acceleration just makes sense yeah so when people and i see and i don't ever engage in arguments about muscle slack because it's a it's a reciprocal um uh it's a it's not a depend it's a dependent action not an uh, interdependent action so the, the rate of which slack change is dependent on so many different variables, then what's the point in giving yourself a headache? Because I don't know about you, Eric, after you've done coaching, you just want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? For sure. And, and so, what, like, how would you manipulate it in your training? Were you going to expose the athlete to varying intensities of the stretch shortening cycle? You know, it's, do you know what's hilarious? It's like, um, isometrics for sprinting well amazing but it's still general and you get the same tendon adaptation as doing three sets of ten so just do what you like yeah that was cool that was cool <laughs> does that make Love. sense sure sure of course of course cool and that's kind of like the way i view any like not really for speed training but like for e everything i do for my athletes it's yeah. really cool because like coaches always like they're gonna have discussion about like the part of the like, isometric training versus like eccentric training or everything they do or like yeah. if there's like research coming out they're gonna have a lot of like discussion about which is better which is not or what mm -hmm. is the new thing what is better but it's like like, just work with your athlete right now and see whatever works. Yeah, 100%. And that's part of my, I'm dyslexic. So my reading speed's terrible. I've got short-term memory, like a goldfish. And, but what I do is I understand movement. I look at movement and I've, I've done the reps. And so whenever, whenever I'm looking at something, I go, yeah, I'm not quite sure of this. Do you know what? I'll go and pick up a book. And I'll go and have a flip through and I'll, I'll see if I can find the answer to my problem. Because my problems and my investigation starts with the people in front of me, not the other way around. It's like my book says this, so I need to go and find this. No. True, true. We're so reflective. And it's the, it's the same, um, the same uh, argument is I think, um, I think directly, like I'm a big fan of Maya Fasher and Slings. And I think you can directly influence that in training because it's called movement efficiency. 
sure. <laughs> and so so you can directly influence it and the, and and but what and we talk about this in in the legacy nation do not get drawn into um topical arguments about coaching in an arena where people go there to do that it's like if you don't want to drink alcohol you're not you're you're not going to go to a pub yeah yeah you know yeah. so and 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 then what does that confine it compounds all the cultural problems that we have in our industry when so and so says this because probably he's put a tweet out because someone's argued with him at work about what he's done or he's seen something he doesn't like, so he then has to go and reinforce his opinion when maybe both their athletes are slow. Cool. Yeah. That was true. So, that last thing about speed, okay? Yeah. Can you, like, walk us through your life? If it's for, let's say, rugby player? Yeah. And can you walk us through, let's say, the beginning of uh, let's say it's a eight-week program or what how long do you train like rugby player if it's like off-season or they're prepare for the next season yeah Usually, so in england typically the players will only have four or five weeks off okay, okay. Uh, and so within that they need a couple of weeks to recover so then i get them for three weeks okay. and and then maybe some periods through pre-season and I help them manage like all the stuff that we talked about integrating learning um, into, excuse me, into their training environment. So I'm like, look, for the next month, just go and work on these three things before training because they're going to do X, Y, Z. So I give them an associative experience. So when I'm, what I'm trying to do when they come through, or if I've got a group, or say like an off season, this is exactly what I'll do in preseason. Because the only thing is, it's like what most people forget is that off season should be their relative recovery and adaptive reserve phase into preseason, so we can get right for the start of season. So what I would look at is I would be saying, well, how much refinement do I need to to get out of their their motor skill? Like, where's my window of opportunities, my real low-hanging fruit? And I'll tell you now, it's not through force profiling and it's not through low-velocity profiling. We don't do any of that because there's no point. We don't have time. So what we do is is we, is we is I can see if someone doesn't have bad, like good enough ankle stiffness just by watching them run. And so, like, what we do is we will start by, like, well, I'm going to pick out three things and for those next three weeks, those are the three things that we're going to work on. And nine times out of ten, they're technical. And so what I would do is I would take them. We always start, doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, you always start with our level one. Because the reason why it's our level one is our lowest intensity, our, our, our most simple, our lowest volume, our lowest cost work. And because the most important thing that if an athlete's coming off a season when you reintroduce them, you need to stage it slowly. And if my athlete is coming through and he can't complete the level one work, goes right back to the beginning. They can't complete the level one work. A, they may not be completely recovered from the beginning of the season, from the end of the season. And B, maybe they are missing or had some detraining effects through those specific capacities through the season. So we still have to 
we have to bring about change in those or awareness back into those because the body's really clever so it will once it's been exposed to a certain level of stimulus it will adapt back to that quite quickly it's called homeostasis it likes to be there is otherwise otherwise people wouldn't be able to turn around injuries faster and faster and faster a more higher prepared um athlete will recover quicker simple so when we when we're taking that rugby player through i'd be looking uh one day focus on pure linear sprinting pure linear variance the other day focusing on change of direction like if i got my two days with them it's great and on our linear stuff we do a front end back end so our front end is how we're developing our steps of acceleration and our back end is how we're managing exposure to, to maximum velocity. And we always start with sub-maximal, uh, circa max velocity when, when the time is there. Because if, you were to, if I was to ask you the question, would you be one rep maxing your athlete in the gym when they were, if they were new? No, exactly. So if you think, and, it, and then so you, you say no to that, do you agree that maximum velocity sprinting is the most intense thing anyone can do on the planet apart from yes. getting hit by a car? Yes. <laughs> and so, so, so with, if those two truths and those two beliefs are sound, then we need to work somewhere in between the two. We need to say, well, if my athlete has a high level of window of opportunity, then I know that if I'm doing 30 meter buildups, 40 meter buildups, and I'm getting uh, I'm accumulating step rates, step counts at 80% max velocity, 85% max velocity with a higher level of technical efficiency, then what are we going to get? Training effect. Because we're, we're putting all our ducks in a row. Mechanically, they look better, so they can try to figure out how to express force faster. If they can do both of those, then the combined load of those two is just going to make people faster. So that's kind of on a conceptual level how I would take um, take an athlete through. And it you, you start out, at, show me how fast you can run, and then it's a bit like, oh, does it really look like that? And then it's, I'm only joking, but then it's the process of how do we take what you can get in 50 meters and, and get it inside 20, get it inside 30 meters. And that's the challenge that, that we face all, all the time um so yeah that's that's how i'll do it yeah that's like pretty cool and all those things in like three or four weeks yeah a lot of work yeah yeah because you've got someone that's readily qualified that's come in they're a high level performer they're probably super super strong they're, they're you know they're playing in the premiership or whatever so they are at that point where everything else is pretty much covered off like i had an athlete who was trying to talk and deal with a situation at their club, he walked in to pre-season being able to squat 250 kilos. He walked out at the end of the season being able to squat 250 kilos, and he didn't get faster. And so, like, that's the, that's the thing, right? It's like, this is, that's the problem. Strength is useless. Yes. Because it's contextual. Being strong, getting stronger will just make you faster until it stops making you faster. And it's it, yeah. when you have your, when you understand your metrics and everything as you're going through that process, like I said to you, here's the easy one. 
double body weight trap bar deadlift, concentric only, over 290 broad jump, uh, nearly nine and a half meter triple broad jump should get you to a 1.6 in the 1.6 meters, 10 meter. That should get you there. And so if you can get that and you can work on those things, then sweet. Like, I don't know about you, but most of my athletes can double, um, double body weight, trap bar, pick it up and drop it. Well, if they can do that, cheers, mate. Let's, let's focus on the stuff that matters. True, true, true. That was true, that was true. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, love it. Love the way you explain like speed training. So, Thank you. So much for linear speed. Mm -hmm. How about like a uh, multi-directional movement? I know post a lot of things about movement. I know love movement. So, uh, how to train like uh, multi-directional movement? How to categorize the movement? Yeah, so um, let's see if we can do this in five minutes because that's when I've got to go. So, okay, okay. It's all good, man. So, but we will. We'll do this in five minutes because it's really simple. All multiple, or first and foremost, all multi-directional movement is the same as acceleration. It's just sideways. First rule. <laughs> that's the simple one. Okay, so. When you're, when you're looking at some of the fundamental relationships of it, you've got, a you've got a shuffle, you've got an open step, you've got a crossover, and you've got all of those with different entry and exit speeds, okay? So when you're, when you're thinking about go far end, it's perception action. See what's in front of you, choose the right skill, hopefully get the right outcome, okay? So we can really make this super simple and really, really easy to understand. Because you know what? If you haven't, if your athlete can, can create the leg exchange patterns that we need in acceleration and he can't do them sideways, then that's all you need to be working on. Because it goes back to the first point. What it, what, why? Why if my athlete only gets three 20-minute sessions with me a week why am I doing what they're doing in a game anyway? Why am I doing that with them? What I need to be doing is developing those base outputs because it's skill qualification. So if my athlete can't put three or four or, or struggles to go like to go from a kneeling lateral push and they can't do the reps on those consistently, then that's what I'm going to work on. And, and every, every pattern, every lateral movement pattern will start with some form of shuffle. And how we define shuffle is, a, is, a, is an instantaneous displacement of the hip through any plane. Because if you define it that way, then shuffle, you know, like shuffling, and then you've got jockeying, back pet, like jockeying off. It's all a shuffle, but it's just in different planes and axes of rotation. So a shuffle is always the instantaneous displacement of the center of mass relative to the direction that you want to go. Then it's followed by what I would call is an open step. Now, people think an open step is my front foot turning out. An open step is an opening of the Post, uh, the, 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 the posterior hip so it'd be the inside hip so if I can get that hip to pop forward that's my open because my groin's open when my groin opens my anterior slings open when that opens then I can use the elastic properties that I've got running through my midsection and through like my frontal lines and everything like that to spring that back 
So once I open that, and then it puts me into a crossover. So the fundamentals of change of direction come from a shuffle, open step, and a crossover, reinforcing the underpinning rules of acceleration. When you move into deceleration, it's just the opposite of acceleration. Because it doesn't have to be that difficult, because physics is really simple. That was cool. That was cool. You <laughs> finished it in like three minutes. I love it, man. So what I'll do, what I'll say, no, what I'll just say on the, on the top of that is that when you're, so we use, you know, how are you monitoring your outputs? And because, you know, I, I really thank you for inviting me on. And I want you to come away with some simple things that you can, you can do from this or anyone else that listens to this. It's like you need to be able to um, create some form of measurement of what you're doing. You need to measure things. So the iometer is number one. If you can, if you can understand the change with your eye, then the rest is history. Because all you need is the piece of paper that says that you that, that backs it up. Okay. Don't go data front end. Go coaching front end. Then, when you, because if you can coach, then you can create the associative learning experience with your athlete. Once they go from unconscious incompetent, you don't know what you don't know, to conscious. Com, uh, conscious incompetent they will run through a brick wall for you because you've taught them you've you've imparted information you've put them first and their learning experience first and that will give you the biggest measurable kpi then if you're looking for something for change of direction again we use a conjugate sequencing method so rotation so we avoid accumulation Okay, that's a huge part of it. So we do, um, I get a five, five by five box and I put three of them and they run to one curtain, they run to the next, they run to the next and we put them through gates and we time it and we look at the drop off because the goal of a change of direction is to not lose. You want a net force of zero on the back end. So peak, dece peak, peak deceleration should be mirrored to peak acceleration. So ultimately, you want that net force of zero, exactly the same as you want in max velocity sprinting, but you just want it to change the direction. So if you are not decreasing your times through those gates, it means that you are losing speed. And it's about how you keep increasing speed through change of direction. It goes right back to what we spoke about. If I've got three steps to displace and, and create momentum before I have to compress, and then and the last thing, this ties, you, ties everything together. Newton's third law, equal and opposite reactions. The velocity of which I go into an act of change of direction and I'm able to decompress, so compress down into the ground, will have an equal and opposite reaction to the, how fast I come out of my cut or my decision. So that ties everything together for you. And if, you, if we get that right and we get that out, then we can get ourselves back up get under those posts for an easy seven point try cool so last thing before we go i really love it so if they're like coaches interested in what we're talking about today where where can they reach out to you the best place message me through instagram um this my sports speed certification is being released this weekend the link's in the bio and inside that what you get is we're going after teaching very differently so you get your 10 modules pre-recorded i'm recording them all now we get the 10 modules with everything inside it um me coaching you through it you then get to come to a live event globally for free 
So I'll meet you and I'll take you through all this in person and then you get a follow-up. So um, in, in our support community that we're creating for the certification, because my biggest belief in is backed by data is that online education is written for the people that are going to profit from it, not from the people that are going to learn from it. So what we've done is created a three-step complete learning experience. And that, that would be the best way to jump in and get involved with Speed. But if you want, just shoot me a message and, and we'll, we'll have a coffee and have a chat. I just want to help people as much as I can. Appreciate it. Sorry for the noise at the end because the office I used to work with is like loud over there. It's got something over there. So I'm nah, it's all good, man. Right now. It's appreciate good. it. So th thank you. I appreciate you, man. Take care, all right? Okay. You too. Cheers. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.